Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Every October, the Seton Shrine hosts a powerful faith drama called Back from the Dead. In these cemetery walks, you will encounter saints who come back to life with life-saving messages. Learn more at satanshrine.org. Now here's Father Ted. The Lord God told us today through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah in the first reading, My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. And that seems to hold true for today's gospel, where most of us look at today's gospel and we wouldn't do things the way that God, the master of the harvest, did in today's gospel parable. You know, you don't need to be a professor or have a degree in economics to figure out that it doesn't seem like the person who worked one hour should get paid the same as the person who worked 12 hours. But if we make our thoughts about work a little bit more like God's thoughts about work, we might see that it's not as unreasonable as we initially perceive it to be. Because how do we normally look at work? What's the, what's the stereotypical way in which people will see their jobs? Usually, it's something that seems to be that we have to endure, that we have to suffer through. It's better if we can get out of it. In fact, if we could get paid, if we could get money without showing up, we would probably do it. At least we say we would do that. And so with this perspective, when we compare the, the two groups of men in today's gospel parable, you got the one group that worked 12 hours and the other group that worked one hour, they got the same amount of money, it seems like the group that worked the one hour definitely got a better deal, whereas the group that worked 12 hours got the short end of the stick. But is being unemployed, is being idle all day long really a blessing? Is that something really we want? I mean, perhaps nowadays we can answer that question a little bit more readily if we just think about those days or those weeks even or months when we were quarantined, when we were stuck in our houses, when we weren't actually, we weren't even allowed to go to other places. You know, was that something that we would like to go back to? Do we enjoy that kind of existence or would we enjoy it long term? Hopefully the answer is no. And also, when you look at what, how politicians talk about their, their parties, you know, they, they usually tout how they're going to make more jobs. Like, even for political rhetoric, jobs is something good. Jobs is a blessing. Jobs is something we want. And let's remember also that in the beginning, when God made Adam and Eve, he gave Adam work in the garden. That was part of human existence before the fall, before sin. Work is not something that we have to do because we messed up, because man sinned, therefore we, have to, we got jobs that we got to do. Adam, from the beginning, was supposed to till and cultivate the garden. It's part of being human. Because when we work, we don't just make something or provide a service. When we work, we make ourselves. We build ourselves. We build character. We transform ourselves. There's something good in work itself, even if there wasn't a paycheck at the end of the day. 
And so if we look at work in this different light, it doesn't seem like the master was so unfair, especially in the ancient world. You know, these laborers, they didn't exactly have, you know, bank accounts or savings or any sort of stockpiles that they could draw upon. Most of these laborers that were going to the marketplace uh, during the day looking for work, it's like going to a job fair. And if they didn't get hired that day, they didn't have any money that day, and they had no way to supply food for their family that day. And so you can just imagine these laborers, they're waiting at the marketplace at 6 o'clock, at 9 o'clock, at 12 o'clock, at 3 o'clock. And for some reason, they weren't there when the master was there. They weren't there when the uh, employer showed up looking for hired hands. They would have been pretty anxious, you know, to go home and just say, we have nothing to eat today, guys. Sorry. Most of them probably would, probably would have exchanged that 11 hours of anxiety and worry and trepidation for that 11 hours of field work. Now, if we look at the other lesson that Jesus was trying to teach us with this parable, perhaps the more theological lesson, the, the deeper lesson, we can see that he was also trying to teach another group of people about how the ways of salvation are not unfair. What does that mean? The Jews had heard Jesus preaching about salvation for tax collectors, salvation for prostitutes, salvation even for Gentiles. And this was something that came off as very unfair to them. Because for 1,800 years, since the time of Abraham, they had been God's chosen people. For 1,300 years, since the time of Moses, they had been laboring under the burden of the Mosaic Law. And then all of a sudden, you have this carpenter from Nazareth showing up saying, everybody is going to get a fair, an equal share of the heavenly kingdom. It just didn't seem fair to them. Why should these newcomers who didn't have to endure the Mosaic Law for hundreds of years, for generations on end, why should they be in the same boat and get the same prize as all of us who have been at this our entire lives? So in this parable, our Lord is revealing a serious flaw in their way of thinking. It's the same flaw that we can have when it comes to work. We could look at work as just a burden, just something we've got to get through. That's not the way that God looks at it. And the Jews could look at the covenant, could look at the Mosaic law as a burden, as a yoke, as something arduous to endure. But it wasn't. It's something which we should be grateful to God for, or rather the Jews should be grateful to God for having given them that covenant. But they weren't. And we Christians can be guilty of the exact same flaw. We can see our faith as a burden, as a yoke, as something I've got to get through. I've got to show up to Sunday Mass. I can't do that thing or the other thing. I can't tell these lies. I can't sleep around. I can't use this substance. I'm not allowed to do this, that, or the other thing. If I could get away with it and still get to heaven, I'd do it anyways. That's an unfortunate mentality to have. And many cradle Catholics will sometimes have this about this sort of jealous mentality of the laborers in today's gospel parable when it comes to converts. You know, to imagine a, somebody who's been living the faith their entire lives, trying to follow the commandments, and then on somebody's deathbed they convert, they get baptized, and they pass away.
but before they got baptized, they were living life. They were living sinful lives. They were doing all these things that we're not allowed to do. You know, why is it that they should get the same kind of reward in heaven as I'm going to get? That sort of mentality of the older son in the story of the prodigal son, resentful of his father's love for the younger son. But we need to start seeing our faith and all the obligations, all the obligations it entails as a blessing. We are not just in this for the pie in the sky. We're not just here because, okay, one day I hope to get to heaven and I just got to do this in order to get there. If we live our faith wholeheartedly, and that's the key, living the faith wholeheartedly, not just simply enduring the faith. If we live the faith wholeheartedly, we receive the sacraments frequently, we pray fervently, we follow all the commandments faithfully, we are laying down our lives, we are sacrificing our own preferences for the sake of our neighbor so that they can be happier, this will be the happiest kind of life possible on earth. It's what Jesus Christ promised to Peter right before this gospel. Right before today's gospel, Peter asked him, okay, what about us? We've left everything to follow you. What do we get out of it? And Jesus told him, you will receive eternal life, the pie in the sky, and a hundredfold more in this world, in this life. It's because we have no satisfaction. We will never be fully content with anything other than God. Our souls have a capacity for the infinite. They were not made for food, for money, for popularity, for power. Those give superficial passing moments of pleasure and joy and, ex and ex ecstasy. But our souls will only be content, will only rest in God, who is infinite truth, infinite love. It was what we were made to do. God alone will satisfy us. Now, personally, I don't have a, like, a very large conversion story of any sort. But I experienced this reality, the happiness of living wholeheartedly the faith when I first entered the seminary 11 years ago. I left my home state of California 3,000 miles behind to come to Washington. I left behind all of my family and my friends. I left behind the opportunity and the scholarships of playing D1 football in the NCAA. And I didn't have the slightest idea of it, that it was, even this, it was even possible to be this happy. It was just like a eureka moment. I realized a couple months in, like, I am so happy here. Like, I, it wasn't something like, like that. But it, was just, it just dawned on me, like, oh my goodness, this is good. Blessed be God. And then at that point, the sort of, um, this enthusiasm to make sure to try and get everybody to enter the seminary dawned on me. That was like one of the dangers they said of the novitiate. You just want everybody to enter religious life as soon as possible because it's so great. You want to share the good stuff with other people. And I had a classmate who had a similar experience. He played Division I basketball at Bowling Green. Uh, he graduated. He had good relationships. He uh, had a nice paying job. Life was pretty good for him, but he wasn't living the faith too seriously, and so he told us that he would lie on his bed at night and just feel completely empty and say, I guess this is just all that there is to life. He had his conversion experience. 
he entered a very strict monastery, and he said he passed the next eight years of his life in the happiest existence he had known till then. It was the happiest eight years of his life. Or just think about St. Augustine. St. Augustine is a pretty classical, classical conversion case. And he was living pretty well before his conversion, insofar as money and wealth and popularity and power is concerned. But let's hear what St. Augustine said about his existence before his conversion. He said, Now you, God, set me face to face with myself, that I might see how ugly I was, and how crooked and repugnant, dirty and ulcerous. And I looked and I loathed myself. I was greatly disturbed in spirit, angry at myself, with turbulent indignation. He's not exactly in a happy place. The truth is that we sometimes get jealous of non-believers who convert because we value sin more than we value God. You know, if we value sin more than God, we'll be jealous of the good thief experience. Like, he's dying on the cross, he simply asks Jesus to remember him and he gets straight into heaven. But if we value God more, we'll recognize that we've been blessed all along more than them, than all those people that have been enslaved to their idols. And repentant sinners recognize this. That's why they convert. They convert because they realize the emptiness of their lives and the fullness of life to be found in Jesus Christ. Now, we cradle Catholics, we might look at this today's parable and we might say, well, we're like the people that showed up at 6 a.m. and have been working all day long. But the Lord wants us to recognize that we might still be in the marketplace. We might not yet have begun to work. The fact that we're at a mass doesn't mean that we are laboring in the Lord's vineyard yet. There was one bishop at a chrism mass. He, told, he preached to his priests about that verse which goes, Pray that the Lord of the harvest might send laborers into his vineyard. And the bishop commented on that. He stressed that the Lord asked for laborers to be sent into the vineyard. Not bodies, not dead weight, but workers, laborers, people that would be willing to sweat in the vineyard. Because he, was, he knows that a lot of the priests are pretty lazy. There needs to be as much zeal in the priestly ministry as there is at least zeal of a businessman to make more money. But what holds true for the priests holds true for all of us. We sometimes think we're pulling our weight because we're coming to Mass, because we're avoiding serious sins, because we do something, because we do more than the person next to us. We're not supposed to compare ourselves to the person next to us. If we're going to compare ourselves to anybody, let's compare ourselves to somebody like Mother Seton. Okay, if we start doing as much as she did, then maybe we can say that we're doing a pretty good job. But God doesn't ask us to simply do more than the next guy. God doesn't ask us to give a standard number of hours. God asks us to give absolutely everything that we can. This makes me think of a poem that was written by a German pastor after World War II. If you've ever been to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., you'll probably have seen this on the wall. He was lamenting his own cowardice and his responsibility for staying silent, doing nothing, 
from the years leading up to the war. He said, this is how the poem goes. First they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. I pray that in the future we might be able to write a similar poem about abortion and euthanasia in our country. What are we doing about that? When's the last time we went in front of an abortion clinic that we prayed for an end to abortion? Do we vote for people that support abortion or for people that are trying to outlaw it? In today's Mass, let's remember those who are generous in responding to the Lord's call. Let's remember that when we are generous, we don't receive just a, daily, a day's wage. We don't just receive the pie in the sky one day. Today, in this Mass, Jesus pays us in the most generous way imaginable. He gives himself to us. May the Blessed Virgin Mary always help us to appreciate our faith so that we might be generous in working in the Lord's vineyard so that more people might come to experience that joy that belongs to those who wholeheartedly live their faith.